0: Some musical works are called theme and variations, where a melody is played and then changed in various ways. Usually, the original melody can still be detected. For example, here is the theme called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, followed by two variations on that theme written by Mozart. Today we will explore some variations for orchestra with a theme that is an enigma. Its relationship to the 14 variations are very difficult to hear. These are the famous enigma variations written by Sir Edward Elgar in 1899. Before hearing this half-hour-long work, let's explore some of the variations. They are all musical descriptions of Elgar's close friends, who must have been quite flattered to be immortalized in this, his first acknowledged masterpiece. This first variation describes Elgar's wife, Alice. Her family disinherited her for marrying the poor unknown composer who was, worse yet, a Roman Catholic. She managed his career and his moodiness. Without her, Elgar might not have become Elgar. And after she died, Elgar was no longer Elgar. We hear that he loved her. Variation 5 is Elgar's friend Richard Arnold, who tended to serious conversation, but noticed that the seriousness built up some pressure to throw in some light banter. The seventh variation is his friend Mr. Troit, who seems to have had an abundance of physical energy and perhaps not a lot of patience. The ninth variation, the heart of this work, is one of the great melodies of all time. It's named Nimrod for Elgar's friend and publisher, August Jaeger. Jaeger is the German word for hunter, so Nimrod, the biblical character described as a hunter, was his nickname. Neither Elgar nor Jaeger knew that in the Talmud, Nimrod is described as a wicked hunter of souls, building the world's first totalitarian dictatorship, the original Joseph Stalin, in other words. But Mr. Yeager was a wonderful friend who had faith in Elgar's musical career even when Elgar was about to give up on music in his early 40s. Just a year before the premiere of these El Enigma variations, Jaeger encouraged a dejected Elgar saying, A day's attack of the blues will not drive away your desire to exercise those creative faculties which a kind providence has given you. Your time of universal recognition will come. How British is that? Some music is so great that I turn it off if it comes to me in my car, because it deserves full attention and a proper audio system. And I often find myself standing up while hearing Nimrod. It simply demands respect. Nimrod begins gently, but however high it soars, it always sounds chaste and disciplined. It is so sweeping that when it ends four minutes later, you will wonder what can follow that and the answer only makes sense after you hear it. The variation describing a young lady named Dora, who is not eloquent and even speaks with an endearing stutter, which you will hear clearly in the music. Here, then, is Nimrod, followed by the first part of Dora. What a generous friend Elgar must have been to lavish such discernment and affection on such a variety of people. We should all have and be such friends. Variation 13 recalls the emigration to New Zealand of a woman who broke her engagement to Elgar some two years before he met his future wife Alice. You will hear sad ruminations on a clarinet and, very softly, the rumble on drums suggesting the engine hum of the distant ocean liner carrying away his departing friend. I've been using an old 1954 recording of Enigma by Sir Thomas Beecham, because I love how he phrases this music, but just for this excerpt, we will hear a modern recording so that you can more clearly hear the gentle drum-tapping of those engines. The last variation depicts the composer. Elgar presents himself with a boisterous optimism that is not a balanced self-portrait. We forgive this foible of a man who shared his genius with us in these enigma variations. Let's hear them now, after which I'll offer one final comment. Holgar's popularity diminished from the 1920s as some of the cultural elite embraced a new style of music, such as this ditty by Anton Webern. Hebron was a German composer who wrote stuff like that until 1945, when, unthinkingly violating curfew in Berlin one night, soon after the German surrender, he was shot to death by an American soldier who always felt immense guilt for having done his duty in those tense times. At the risk of showing my darker side, I hope that if I could have spoken to that soldier, I might have lessened his sense of guilt somewhat. Now that the 20th century flirtation with ugly classical music has somewhat passed, there are again more composers trying to be like Elgar than trying to be like Webern. And thank goodness for that. Thanks for listening.